Welcome to the Texas Law Dog Podcast, where we will get you off, literally and legally. Your weekly true crime podcast from the criminal defense lawyer's perspective. Join the Texas Law Dog and co-host Akash as they venture into the nitty-gritty of the criminal justice system and explore how there may be practicable solutions to cleaning it up. Any and all content produced should not be construed as formal legal advice, used for educational, marketing, and solicitation purposes only. Some information may be factual. All guests have agreed to use their real names and likenesses. All views and opinions expressed by the Texas Law Dog reflect the opinions of Texas Law Dog LLC only and should not be construed as formal or informal legal advice by a practicing attorney. The Texas Law Dog will not get you off, literally or legally, despite what he may claim. morning akash welcome back good morning brother how are you (laughs) hey i want to talk briefly about uh some feedback so far on the show it's been pretty positive uh thus far i think people have found it entertaining how bad albeit um they're probably like what is this the law dog variety show because they never know what they're gonna get they're like i thought you were gonna talk about true crime well boys and girls we put true in quotation marks for a reason <laughs> it is true crime but uh it's just a little different take on it so i i understand that some people aren't going to want to hear about like funny like trolling stuff about vaccines and, and the election and whatever but it is important to comment on topical stuff with like actual um concern because it's it's real it's going on uh, but obviously i understand that you can get a lot of that elsewhere so uh today we're going to focus more on law stuff obviously we're gonna get back a little bit into law but uh, a couple of times uh every so often you're gonna get the the law dog diatribes and whether it be about just something that he's feeling or um just a, a particular way that he is or something that he wants to get off his chest that day i mean it's going to be it's going to be different every time. That's what makes it, I think, entertaining. Cause like this, this, uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm a, I'm bipolar as fuck. (laughs) 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 And I will, and I, by me, I mean the the law dog is bipolar as fuck. And so he's an interesting guy and you're gonna uh, just have to tune in and follow along to see what kind of little gold nuggets he might distribute. And, um, I think it's just going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun way to investigate the law. But like, I understand that I've got a personality too. So um, I think that in order to like build up the character, I've got to give you guys a little bit of real to tease the please. Um, and I think that so far I've gotten really good feedback as far as talking about the real stuff. Uh, oh, wait, did, do we have any emails? Um, I don't think I, 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 you, you I set up the email address, but I don't have any way to log into it. I sent you a username and password. You did? I did. I like right over as soon as when I right when I made it, it was um I act the password is the same one that we're using for Instagram. Wait, we should not reveal that. Is I, it I password? Mean, the password isn't password, is it? Oh yeah! Oh, is that the one we used for Instagram? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, if you want to hack the Texas Law Dog Instagram account, the password is definitely not just password. Um, (laughs) That reminds me of the Office episode, which is we're going to be talking Office today. Reminds me of the episode where the IT guy comes to uh, update 
the software for the office's computers and Michael's password is like password and it's written on a sticky note right on his computer. So. <laughs> <laughs> or I think it was like one, two, three, four, something good like that. I remember like the old school passwords back in the day um, when I used to play like Starcraft or uh, uh, Call of Duty, like the original game. Uh, I was in like a clan, man. I was the OG nerd. I wish that Twitch had been around when I was a kid, man. I would have been awesome at that. I think that uh, I definitely like would have enjoyed playing video games and having people watch me comment on it. I think that there's no better way to live your life than that. Jesus, you get to have like, I mean, these, the, what's that one kid? His name's like Ninja. He's like a billionaire. Yeah, bro. He's a billionaire I mean, dude, for playing video games. It, it, it's like, it's, I think it goes back to the, uh, the whole esports thing. It's a real thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, but again, That's what I was telling my parents all growing up was I, <laughs> I could do this. I, but like, imagine being able to tell your parents, I can make money playing video games. Like there was no way Oh, by the way, speaking of video games, the PS5 is out and like evidently it's impossible to get. Like people are paying like three times the uh, MSRP on eBay just to get it right now. Have you heard about this? I I, I mean, yeah, my brother's a huge gamer, bro, but it was uh, okay. Dude, I just bought a Sega Genesis 2. So fuck the new age. I'm going back in time, baby. I got right. nostalgia. Uh, I just got it in the mail yesterday. It's got like World Rugby Cup 95. How much was it? Like $2? Oh, it was like 60 bucks. And <laughs> oh, nice, bro. It was another awesome. 25 for like eight, nine games. It has like that's Road the one Rash. That's like, is that like pre? That's like pre GameCube, pre. Oh, yeah. Like Dude, pre, it was like uh, 96 when it came out. Yeah, that's crazy. And, uh, and the, the graphics are not good. <laughs> but I remember, I remember that that was so cool. I used to play it as a kid when I was like, on like a 14 inch really big ass you know boxy tv in my room and when i was in when i would get in trouble my dad uh would just take the controllers and so i would have to look at the console but i wouldn't be able to play it <laughs> and that was pretty genius i mean like like that what 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 what, what worse punishment is there than that so I, it reminded me though of uh just kind of like taking a step back and enjoying nostalgia for a minute as we kind of march into the new age. I wanted something that reminded me of like two bit 16 megapixel, you know, like the actual cartridge is the entire memory card now. And then uh, games these days are like two gigabytes just on a, on a uh, data portal. So it's very interesting. To, it's like, it's just how video games have evolved and now kids are making money playing them. And I'm jealous as hell of that because I wish that had been around when I was a kid. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. I've got a uh, a funny law school story I wanted to share with you guys. I think that this would be pretty funny because it highlights the insanity of my job um, and what I was getting into when I was like 25 and doing it. But basically, I just heard your fire alarm again. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've heard it, I can't unhear it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna ignore it though. All right, so I've got after this, I'm gonna ignore it. I won't mention it again. But I've got uh, I had a uh, this case where I don't even remember the facts that well. All I remember is how hard I worked to prepare for it. I worked like ten days on this thing. I had all of the case law, I had all of my cross examining questions ready. Like I was ready to go in there and eviscerate this police officer because 
my client was a poor uh, black woman who had been very drunk and was coming home from a bar. This is up in Dallas County, by the way. So uh, when I was up at SMU for law school uh, and then a criminal clinic, which is where they gave us um, the cases the public defender didn't want. So this is what led us to this sort of scenario. Uh, was a case like this where she was very drunk, uh, winded up going back to the wrong apartment in the wrong apartment complex, and uh, cops called her. Cops called, got called. So basically, it was an anonymous call that led the police to the investigation. So that was an entire issue in and of itself, uh, as well as the fact that the cops showed up and automatically just deemed her a danger to herself or others and gave her a public intoxication charge. Um, which also led to them finding uh, marijuana on her person, which led to the actual misdemeanor and what led us to court. So uh, basically, I uh, was preparing like hardcore for this thing. I had, because like in order to prove public intoxication, you have to prove that you were intoxicated in a public place and that you're a danger to yourself or others. And this lady was just drunk. She was lost, but she wasn't a danger to anybody. And some person called and said that some, uh, there was like strange activity going on and there was a random black woman running around in an apartment complex. So when the police got there, she, like it was a female officer. So this is hilarious. And the, the point of the hearing isn't even that I, I won. I didn't even have a shot. The problem, and this is the general point of this story was in law school, they teach you how to freaking prepare like no other, right? But in practicality, I showed up and the judge was so annoyed that we had to have a hearing on this that uh, <laughs> I was just kind of run you guys down through the hearing, but this is how to how it went. I, um, I'm i prepared as hell. I'm nervous as hell before. This is my first time kind of doing a real actual hearing on the record, right? And so I've overprepared. My mentor is with me because when you're a student attorney, you have to have a supervising lawyer with you in the courtroom. So she's sitting there next to me and I get maybe three. We sit down and I call the officer to the stand because there's no warrant. And so on a motion to suppress where there isn't a warrant, um, the burden shifts on the state to prove that uh, they did have probable cause. So you get to question the officers in that, in that situation. So the officer takes the stand and I ask maybe three questions. And then all of a sudden the judge stops the hearing and says, can we go off the record? And this is this old white guy judge. And <laughs> he looks at me with just disgust. And he's like, counselor what are or he looks at my my supervising attorney and was like what are we doing hold on one second hold on i gotta take a call can we go off the record and he takes this call on the bench and he's like what no 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 i got this I, this dude in here is wasting my time i no no, no i'm gonna be half an hour late <laughs> i'll see you at uh i'll see you there <laughs> I fucking literally show up and the dude has is late for his tea time now because I have inconvenienced him with this hearing in which I'm clearly going to show that this officer had no probable cause or reasonable suspicion. The dude doesn't let me get four sentences out. And then the supervising attorney stands up and she's like, judge, we'll withdraw our motion. I stand up and I'm like, no, 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 no. 
no, Your Honor, I will proceed with this motion. <laughs> My mentor is taken aback. Uh, I was like, I was not about to prepare 10 days and work my ass off without at least freaking getting my piece out there. So I sat there and I made the judge freaking wait. And I made him listen to me question her. And he denied the motion, of course, at the end. But the point of it was that you think that you know about the law and you think that you know how to practice law. But when you actually go into the real world, like you can think you can have all of the case law on your side, you can have all of the facts on your side. But if the judge is in a bad mood, you could be completely fucked. And so that was learning practicing law 101, right in law school. And, and the point of it was that you need to know the judge better than anybody in your case. Because uh, good lawyers know the law, but great lawyers know the fucking judge. Dude, so, I, think, I think it was really cool that you, I mean, you were able to fucking pull back the curtain and because a lot of people live in the world where like when people talk about the system or the machine or whatever, like at the end of the day, you have to understand that everything is, it's all run by people, right? So people want to fucking say, talk about uh, if you do, if you do A, B and C, you'll get D, but that's not how it works. And like, because whenever, especially when you're in school, it's everything is like black and white. It's very clear cut. But reality is, it's there is politics, right? There are it is about there are biases that come into play. Nothing is ever objective. People are not ever uh, purely uh, succeed based on merit. Like there are a lot of factors in that go into play with everything. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah you're completely right. Yeah, dude, that reminded me of another time, like when I was this happened maybe three or four years ago. But I had a client that. Yeah, this is actually a pretty funny story. Uh, he <laughs> this is a really, he's a great dude. I love this guy. He's had to call me multiple times. So this is what we call a repeat customer. Um, but <laughs> essentially, it's just guys that can't get out of fucking bullshit or women. It doesn't matter. But it, it's I, I get them calling me every year or two with their new bullshit to deal with so i mean i love it in that regard because it puts food on the table but in a very much more real sense i i come across cases like this where one time i had a case where uh i was caught up in the middle of this massive political feud like at uh multiple levels between the district attorney's office and one judge and this happened a couple of years ago the judge is no longer on the bench but uh she Basically, what happened when uh, the new district attorney of Harris County came in is just she started a DWI pretrial intervention program, which allowed you to uh, basically serve a year of probation with the Harris County DA's office, but in return, they would dismiss the case at the end of it, which has been a very popular program that they have initiated. And a lot of people have taken advantage of it because it's been good. I have a lot of clients that have done it. But uh, at first, when they first started it, it was like a massive pushback from all the judges. They would uh, basically make sure that some of them would like be like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> like they're like, we're not operating within the bounds of the law because we don't need to because we don't agree with this. Like there are a couple of judges that got trouble because they would put like mad literature signs like on the bench behind them, like mothers against drunk driving uh, stuff and wouldn't do any of these DWI pretrial diversions. So what happened in that scenario usually is there's this one judge, but it then turned into three or four judges. And I just came across one of the judges that decided that she had had enough. And so my 
<laughs> my poor self and my client got caught up in the middle of it. But basically, uh, um, the guy was charged with a DWI and the cop was dirty. Uh, he was notorious, um, dirty Baytown PD, which is like a small, uh, small city kind of Southeast adjacent to Houston. And basically the dude just like, he, he completely screwed up the investigation. And so I was going to want to try the case. Um, but the DA, the, the, the DA, or excuse me, on cases where the, the blood alcohol level was over 0.15, the judge would refuse to dismiss them. Uh, and this was unprecedented. And so I had a case, and this is like one of those stories where I'm telling, like it came along and I was a guinea pig. This is like what happened then. But basically I had a scenario wherein I had a client charged with DWI over 0.15. The district attorney wanted to dismiss the case. The judge wouldn't take the dismissal. She forced us to go to trial on it. Uh, which is very rare. I mean, very rare where we see a judge refuse to sign a dismissal. Um, so basically, I <laughs> I call the, I had to get in touch with like the district attorney who, I mean, she's a politician in Harris County, but she's a big fucking deal. Like she has a lot of people, a lot of donors. I'm that's way above my pay grade. I was like three years in at that time. And I've got, a, I'm talking to her number two guy and he sits me down with the number three guy in the entire district attorney's office, like the hierarchy of, of, uh, the things. And he's like, listen, man, this is a big, this is like a political thing. And you, you are in the middle of it and it's above your pay grade. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there like, okay, uh, this is fun though. I mean, I'm kind of glad I'm involved. Um, but, uh, what's going on? What do you need me to do? And so we basically just formulated a plan, me and the number three guy at the district attorney's office to circumvent this judge <laughs> because she was being a tyrant. And so like, it was truly interesting to see the wheels of justice work in that regard, because I had a client that had a dirty cough. There was no way they were going to have any sort of ability to win a trial. So I set the thing for trial. The judge refuses to dismiss the case. And so she makes us go to trial. Uh, and so I, I had requested a jury trial and then on the record at pretrial, I am telling the judge on the record that I think that even if I present evidence, even if the state presents no evidence that she would still find my client guilty of a DWI. <laughs> and I said that to her on the record. I was like, even if a jury uh, and the state say that they don't want to dismiss this charge judge, I'm terrified that you're going to convict my client. And she said, well, counselor, you're telling me that someone, an officer of the law, is going to blatantly disregard it and that he, they, I, I will not listen to the evidence. And I said, Judge, I'm just saying, and I had literally, I had the president of the Harris County Criminal Lawyers Association. I had the entire intern staff of the district attorney's office watching all of this exchange go down because it was like juicy gossip for that week. And uh, <laughs> basically, then the judge threatened me if I didn't have a bench trial that she was going to like make, you know, she more or less said in words, like, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't try this case right now, uh, in front of me, like, there's going to be like some serious issues. So then I've got the number two DA guy, he's threatening her on the record with stuff. And uh, basically, I had to 
start the jury trial. <laughs> I start a jury bench trial within five minutes where, wherein uh, I, the, the prosecution announces ready. And this is how me and the DA actually like worked this out in the room beforehand of how we were going to do it, which is hysterical to me. But I mean, this was politics 101 as far as uh, like, you know, political stuff that you don't learn about in law school, right? Like this was a major disagreement between one judge and the district attorney and my guy fell as the, uh, the patsy, you know, for in which to have her induce her wrath. So basically I've got, I've got my poor guy standing here and he thinks he's going to jail. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you got nothing to worry about. You're going to fucking be fine. Like you got me, dude. And so we've got, we stand up there and the, the DA is like, all right, present your first witness. And the DA rests his case, which is great because they present no evidence. That they don't have any. Then I get to move for a directed verdict. And uh, the judge is like, well, then I guess I'm going to have to grant that, aren't I, counselor? And uh, <laughs> you got a free expunction out of it. And I got a not guilty, which was great. So, nice. <laughs> so for the... Um... For to, for us civilians, bro, what is the difference between on the record and off the record, like officially? Uh, does it how does it affect um like it's it is it only be in terms of like what the court stenographer gets down on paper or where else does it? Yeah, yeah. So this, the court reporter, they're really cool people. Uh, their job is super unique because they have to be really good at listening and really good at cranking out those uh symbols on that machine that they use the stenographer machine and uh they so most lawyers don't know this but if you are going to go on like these long case law diatribes it's always a good idea to print out a copy of the case and hand it to the court reporter so that she's not trying to just stuff your words into the record and you actually have a clean copy of what you're saying especially if you're reading law um, but like you said if it's on the record yes that means that the court reporter is sitting there going and every single word that you say is being recorded. So generally that's what I put away all my uh, jokes. <laughs> uh, because, well, unless I feel like the Court of Appeals is gonna have humor in this case, and sometimes I do. But honestly, like, I, I'll, I'll run you guys even through a deposition I did one time. I had a personal injury case where my lady got hit outside of uh, in downtown in a crosswalk by a cab company and I sued the hell out of the cab company and I had to depose the driver and I got him at the end to cry and um, apologize <laughs> and I got him to apologize and admit that he was completely in the wrong and we won the case at the deposition it was actually like one of the coolest moments I had had as an attorney so far I was only like two years out of law school when I took that case I only made like 10 grand on it but it was pretty awesome I, uh, <laughs> it was like, cause when you're on the record, every single thing is written down. So I, I, they can't document laughter, but I'm always laughing. So they don't have ha 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 ha. Counselor indicates like he was laughing like a maniacal joker. Um, but basically, yeah, like when you're on the record, like the judge, it's, it's got, it'll say court, it'll say state defense counselor and then like different witnesses or whatever so the there is a individual taking every single word down when you're on the record which is why judges always make sure to say all their important shit off the record because they're very smart uh and they hate being overturned on appeal so uh yeah like when you're like when we yo <laughs> yeah bro so just to clarify the uh so on the record it has to do with so the main the main place it has an impact is whenever it goes to appeals 
Is that where it really matters? It's yeah. you can't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything that so like the court of appeals doesn't have anything to go off of other than like the official court trend, like the record. So everything that's done in a case is documented in there. Uh, whether it be whatever you, if you had a pretrial hearing, doesn't matter. Like you have to give them a congruent uh, p- picture of the entire case. So yes, like everything that's regarding a formal court proceeding is going to be recorded for uh, their purposes. Because yeah, like I like that's why I didn't become a doctor. Because if I screw up, I get an appeal. No <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> wait. So just to clarify. So whenever you get an appeal, they don't do a retrial. They just go, they just read through your shit again over the old trial. Uh, you know, I mean, that's the purpose of usually trying to appeal, right? If you're appealing, um, from the defense perspective, then I didn't do a good enough job, but, uh, it's definitely sometimes like it's, that's not necessarily true either because the judge dictates a lot about what evidence gets in or out. So really what you're doing on the record for appeal is setting up, um, preserving the error for the appellate courts to be able to either overturn whatever the judge disagreed with you on or uh, give you an avenue for a new trial based on whether, you know, there could be some crazy circumstances dealing with juror intimidation. It could be uh, that the jury saw some information that they weren't supposed to. Like if y'all remember uh, the Roger Clemens trial with, for the steroids, like four or five years ago. No, I was like seven years ago. Uh, where Rusty Harden was his lawyer and he tried the case up in, I think, BC. Um, I had a friend then law school that worked on that team, that defense team. And Rusty Harden is one of the best. I, I have heard him speak many times. I haven't been able to personally speak with him one-on-one yet, but um, I hope to obtain enough success to be able to get in the same room with him at some point. But I, uh, I definitely um, admire how he tries cases and I, I kind of try to emulate what he does because he he told he tells us i mean he he kind of takes his cues from the late racehorse racehorse haynes who was a legendary trial lawyer in houston um who this is back when you could smoke in the courtroom you could be way more cool right than you are today you could uh you know i couldn't even imagine me like in a cross exam just having the ability to have a pack of cigarettes. And before I load up on like the biggest piece of evidence before I want a jury to hear, I would just fucking take a cig out. I'd be like, Zippo. (laughs) (laughs) I light the cigarette. I'm like, all right, officer. I think the jury deserves some answers. (laughs) And so like, that's what he would do, right? Like racehorse, he would trip over like the spitting platoons and stuff that they had in courtrooms for when you would spit your tobacco out. So like he would purposely like have his tie all screwed up. And like the thing with Rusty is he doesn't try cases with anything in front of him other than a blank notepad. The guy has it all up here in his head. And it's insane because the way that he makes the jury see people's for, for who they really are. Like he's, he's like me and Mark talked about last week. I mean, he is the best at getting you to put yourself in other people's shoes. And so that's truly what we do. I think if you guys can see what our overarching like thing is, as far as being successful at trial is to get people to shift their realities and, Rusty doesn't, I haven't seen anybody do a better job at being able to humanize his client and 
just completely uh, eviscerate government witnesses by being very nice. And uh, that is a skill that is extremely uh, hard to acquire, okay? Because when you have a cross-examination that is done perfectly, generally you're not getting confrontational with them, but you're simply getting them to admit that they're killing your case, killing their case. Um, because like that, that is how you do it. You get the, the jury to see that this person may not be credible or they are, uh, depending on how you want them to see it. So he's really good at kind of crafting that dynamic. And so I've always tried to just take little pieces from, from what I learned from him and, and apply them. So I think that, you know, as far as being on the record and like doing it, you know, it just depends because every judge is different and every circumstance, every case is different. And so like my overarching point was law school is great. It teaches you the law and it's a lot of money and it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of competition. I mean, fuck, I only talked to like five people I went to law school with. I hated everybody in my fucking class. Like that's because it was competitive as shit and everyone was used to dominating in undergrad. And then you put all of those people together and it's just like, is a type A disaster, like bloodbath, right? So I ended up at graduating law school and like leaving Dallas. I had to get the fuck away from Dallas. I love Dallas. I love my friends in Dallas. And the majority of them are up there and I miss it occasionally, but Houston was home. So I came home and, uh, and I, and I practiced down here, but Hey, look, I mean, in Dallas County, it's <laughs> the judges are like, you never know what you're going to get. There was a ton of criminal court judges that I had favorable results on, but that was just one where it was a curmudgeon old white guy that, had what, nothing to do with my case. So like, that's the practice of law. You never know what you're going to get. And it always depends on the judge. It always depends on a million different things. It's how hard it's going to go. But as long as you have a basic kind of way that you operate and hit cases, and once you learn the system and how different DAs and judges operate, it becomes a lot easier to be successful. Dude, quick question, bro. So in law school, do they ever put you through a course on like the art of storytelling or how to uh, develop a narrative or anything like that because it seems like that's a pretty crucial part of what you do right it, it's how to tell the fucking or frame a story or it, it's you're telling the story it's not just a presentation of facts right it's never a black and white uh, yeah no no uh, there's not um and that's why there's still no, that's why there's not a personal finance class taught in public education they don't want you to know <laughs> all right man they don't want you uh to have all the secrets um there needs to be there was great writing courses uh everything focused on how to be a better writer and your motions and stuff like that but for oratory like skills classes there were very few uh and that's the i hope that that changes you know because i think that well, it doesn't really matter. Once we have RoboCops and our Bill of Rights goes away, you know, we're not going to be <laughs> But until then, <laughs> until then, uh, oh, we need to talk about that. We will in a little bit. But um, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because I don't know uh, any you know, law school that's encouraging constant just uh, – relating skills i don't know there's not really a class you can take like mark said that makes you relatable and 100%. i think and uh, that makes you a good communicator right yeah i think what what mark was uh one thing that the thing that resonated with me the most about what mark said last week is 
most of the time, if the case, if all the facts are in his favor, the DA will just kind of just dismiss the case anyway, right? So most of the time when he's going to trial, it means he's got nothing, right? So it, <laughs> so he's going to trial. Dude, that's like, what I, so when I go to trial, I like the DA thinks they can win because they don't right. like to lose, especially to an obnoxious motherfucker like me. They hate losing to me, which is why I don't get to go to trial that much. He's Mark said he had 109 not guilties. I have like three legit ones. And one of them was that case that I didn't even have a jury on. So it didn't even count. But the difference is that I don't get to try as many cases as a district attorney, right? So I've had, I've been out, I've been practicing like seven years now. And I think I've had like 35 cases set for trial. 12 go. What's 35 minus 12? 23 were dismissed day of. So I, I, I love going to trial too, but sometimes like, the DA doesn't want to lose to my obnoxious ass. They're going to dismiss it. So uh, on the ones that I did go on, I've had a couple of DWIs that I've lost, um, but that wasn't my fault. <laughs> you know, it was just like impossible facts to work with. The, the client didn't want to take the deal. So on those kind of cases, like you just got to have fun and, and, and take one theory and just throw it up against the wall and hope the jury sees it. I had like two people on that jury. It was like a four hour deliberation actually. So it wasn't like a five minute guilty. I actually did have two people kind of fight for me. And then they, they realized that she was probably driving the car. So uh, they, they came back with a guilty on that one, but like, it, it's okay. I mean, you, you don't go to trial, uh, you know, Mark, Mark's lost too. Okay. So he didn't mention that, but he's lost. And, and he would mention that if I asked him, but I'm not going to highlight his fucking losses, obviously. Uh, and that's part of, I, you learn way more when you lose than from when you win. And I think that that is a, a big lesson that people forget is that you don't always win. Okay. The facts aren't always on your side and neither is the jury as much dancing and, and storytelling as you do. Sometimes it's the, you can't cut through some bullshit, right? Like, and that's what I tell clients. If you don't want to take the deal and you want to roll the dice, fuck dude, there's no one better for me to get up there and try and sell your shit. But at the end of the day, like shit on a stick is shit on a stick. And if, if six people see that, then I can't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. but Yeah. I think, but the, uh, just the, how important it is to understand that very rarely is there such a thing as just a purely objective truth is a, is a pretty fucking, you know, it, well, that's the thing. And like in jury selection, as I go over, objective versus subjective evidence right so i go over about how would you rather hear evidence that is um would you rather hear somebody at a museum explain a piece of art or would you rather look at it for yourself right and so that's the way i explain subjective versus objective evidence and a lot of the cases where the da is trying it on circumstantial subjective stuff i really hammer home that point about not being able to see it for yourself especially in like domestic family violence cases where the officer isn't there for the dispute they're only giving them the the accounts that they've heard after the uh incident has occurred like it just depends but every single time it's something different and that's why i love doing it that's what makes me enjoy this job is because it's like i get these crazy fact patterns and these crazy political scenarios and it's just different and most people don't have any interaction with the side, right? Like they don't go to jail, they don't go to court. And uh, I don't know, man, it's just a fun job. It's a really cool, uh, exciting way to help people. Um, and also kind of like 
see how our entire country works, but at like a macro micro level, um, because the court system in general is very bureaucratic and very red tape driven. And there's a lot of different funding uh, aspects that go into decisions that are made. And so like I, like I said, and I've been saying and harping on it, if you follow the money, man, it's going to be, it, you're going to run into some issues. So, and you're seeing that with a lot of judges that have deals with these attorneys that they give a lot of large court appointment cases to on big murders. And, uh, you know, they make a lot of these attorneys rich because of campaign donations or whatever. So, I mean, it just depends. And every, and that's the thing is like, I never wanted to get to the point where I'm like seeking a position of power because like Mark said, I would be a fucking tyrant. <laughs> I would not be good with power. Like I would not, I don't want it. You know, I don't want to, um, I don't want to be in charge of, of fucking people or, or being the guy that everyone hates. I really don't. I think that. So how do you, I, quick, quick question, how do you become a judge? What are the qualifications to be a judge? And uh, have yeah, you ever, well, you have to be a D student in law school. Oh, okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right, bro. So have you found the, uh, a lot of times the judges who get the power goes to their head? Like, is it? Oh, yeah. I mean, as time? soon as you put the robe on, like. Yeah, oh. it's not, it, I feel like it, it's the only like, reason I would want to be a judge. I tell my girlfriend this all the time is because I would just walk in with my robe naked and be like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> like that would be me as a judge. And um, we yeah, don't need that. <laughs> so like, it, I, but the, the, the large majority of judges that run are really good lawyers and they're trying to do good that aren't on power trips. There are a couple that are, and they are trying to, you know, they use it as a, as a way to get into another higher position. But yeah, man, it's tough because when you walk into a room and everybody stands up for you, you think you have a little bit of power, right? I mean, that's yeah. just natural to assume that, you know, when you stand up for the court, you know, and the court is supposed to represent uh, fairness, like, and not have a, a, a side or an opinion, but largely we have elected judges. So, they have an RRD next to their name and they're going to do certain things because of that. And that's just the natural consequence of having state elected judges. And it does present a lot of challenging issues uh, as you navigate through whether one judge is Republican or Democrat and how they particularly operate these types of cases. Right. And so it just becomes a lot of navigating individual circumstances, which is why, we're about to talk about robot dogs. Uh, as long as we have a criminal justice system, we won't go away because like we have to know all of this stuff that I'm talking about. Like it's super nuanced and it's, it's all variant by County. Um, and that is what truly dictates your case generally is who's the DA on it. Who's the judge on it? Truly. That's what, the, that's what dictates your case. How did you, uh, so when we talk, I mean, on the, to stay on the topic of the funding, how it has to do with the robot, what did you, how did you feel about the, oh, uh, RoboCop, yeah, is everyone the, ready for their new normal? <laughs> yeah, yeah funny, Are you we enjoying our new normal so far? Everybody? Yeah, excited, bro. This is a great new normal, man. Um, okay, so I want to bring y'all into the new normal of AI robotics. Um, I'm going to share my screen real quick. Basically... I read this article in the New York Post, which is fake news, by the way, people. Uh, the New York Post, I think, is the publication that Twitter censored and completely like banned. 
even though it's like the fourth oldest uh, news publication in the United States. So take that for what it's worth. This first headline says the NYPD deploys a robot dog after a woman is shot during a Brooklyn parking dispute. So that's good. I mean, we got we've got dogs being sent out there for for high profile stuff like this. Um, essentially, it states that the NYPD Emergency Services Unit, along with the robot developed by Boston Dynamics and known as Spot, uh, showed up to assist, and the suspect was ultimately taken into custody. And I saw another article. Um, robotic dogs start patrolling Florida military base and, uh, <laughs> F1D0 is its name. And it's a weatherproof four-legged unmanned patrolling drone that has two-way communication abilities and costs about a hundred grand a pop. And this is the springboard into the future of integrated defense squadron commander, major Jordan Chris told the outlet. So this is only the first step and we're very excited to do is to be that test, that evaluation site that proliferates the rest of technology for the rest of the Air Force. Keep it in the Air Force, people. We don't need robo dogs fucking patrolling our streets, all right? This is my point, is that, um, wait, how do I stop screen? Oh, here we go. Yeah, we've got to be careful with this stuff, okay? Like there is, is it back on me, Akash? Yeah. Okay. There are like super big like ramifications to just solving our issues with drones and AI because I can already see it now in that there the argument's gonna be, well, we can just defund the police because we can use AI. But here's the problem is you can't cross examine a robot. And if there's robots patrolling us, then that's probably meaning that this, that we're probably going to get the Constitution suspended at some point <laughs> just to, to uh, <laughs> get rid of those pesky Bill of Rights. <laughs> because honestly, like, if that's how they want to do it, then we're not going to be able to beat him. Uh, because like, if you make a police force just robocops, then guns are pointless. Um, so you don't even need to worry about the Second Amendment at that point. So I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to try and get the people to be like, we need AI to, uh, to police us. But then that literally, guys, is just going to bring us down the, the road, starting path to Minority Report and <laughs> free crime and freaking like once they get the algorithm so good where they can go up to you and they'll scan you and they'll realize just based on your body temperature whether you're a criminal or not. <laughs> Bro, every, uh, every robot movie ever, like I robot. Uh, Minority Report. I think the the Shia LaBeouf. La, I, I think it was Eagle Eye. All of them. The the fucking premise is the same. We make AI to um AI to kind of police the human, and then AI eventually just decides the humans are the most danger to themselves. So like it's like yeah, fuck. Time to take them out. Yeah, yeah, it's not even. It's not. Yeah, it's like you guys don't need freedom. People of like don't don't see it, man. But the technology is so fucking good now. The stuff that we don't even know about is so good that. They couldn't roll it out or the populace would be terrified. So, like, you know, you're not going to send Iron Man out there right now, but they probably got something like that, you know, like a super soldier. Uh, and that's terrifying because, like, if we start making that the norm and we replace human police officers who are empathetic that are able to make spot judgment calls that a robot isn't, um, especially in, like, a, a dire fleeing situation where you need human intellect to be able to interpret what's going on, I mean, it's it's something that's going to be super dangerous. So, like, people need to push back on this whole use RoboCops to save us. Like, keep them on the military bases. Like, that's fine. But if we start having these robo dogs start jumping around the streets, patrolling us, 
you know, like they do that in the UK, like a lot. They have a lot of remote surveillance. They've got every block covered, you know, in London. So that everything is being recorded 24 seven and they've got robots assisting them in all of that. But they're like, here we have the fourth amendment. So they run into a bunch of different issues. So I hope our constitution survives whatever kind of super crazy cyber attack is coming <laughs> right where the AI takes over and we've got Skynet at the other end of it, right? Where we're like, all of our old phones stop working. You must get the new 5g phone. And so personally, uh, how, what do you, how do you say you feel about just in on a serious note, the defund the police movement, bro? Are you, um, is it from like, uh, sounds like a terrible, it sounds like a way for me to kill my own job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think you gotta yeah. be honest about that. Uh, the police are kind of a necessary, um, thing to me making money. So I, I do need to be honest about that. I don't think the police need to go anywhere. I just think that they need better training and that they need that, better. That's exactly they need what better, I was going to say, bro. If they anything, need better training, they need better. Like, look, do they have the, 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 the field manual they're trained on for field sobriety tests is just PowerPoint slides. Like, it's time to update the materials, guys. Like, it's time to fucking get in with a new age and get these officers the correct training. That's literally defund the police movement. That's all it needs to be is defund the brutality portion of it and put the, put the fucking uh, psychologists and psychiatrists and sociologists and the, non, and the de-escalation of violence people in there. Like, that is what defund the police should be about. It shouldn't be fucking take them out completely and like replace them with robots it needs to be train these guys better and they'll you'll have people that a want to be cops still uh because they want to help people and b you're gonna have guys that are fucking assholes not being able to be assholes anymore because they're finally being held accountable that's how you do police reform i think the in terms of defend the police bro yeah i i 100 i 100 agree with you in terms of the what they need is more training. So that's, you don't get more training by defunding the police. That just makes shit worse. No, right? we need more funding. We need more right. funding for police or, training. <laughs> or if by defund the police, you mean that the police don't handle so much of the work that you're like delegating to, like you were saying, social workers and uh, psychologists and people who are can, who can handle like mental health issues a lot more clearly. Yeah, I mean, dude, I have, I'll give you a perfect example. I'm friends with these two lovely individuals. They live in Miami and they live in a, a high rise apartment complex. And they texted me the other night and one of their neighbors that lives above them um, complained that they were playing their music too loud. And it was like 8.45. The guy's like, I have a right to play music at a reasonable level. And uh, that chick just called the cops. Like that was her first instinct was to call the police. Um, and guess what? Three police officers show up to their door on a noise complaint. And... <sighs> This is absurd. Why, why are we wasting police officers' time on like this? Like They have to respond to every call they get. We need to look into that. We need to look into how they're enforcing these laws or whatever kind of calls they're getting. Like, that's the, like That is a big step for police reform because we're wasting a ton of resources and time on bullshit like that where they got three cops. Luckily, my buddy knew one of them because he's, like, he's, he's a pretty prominent guy in their community and uh, they didn't have, you know, imagine like, if, so if it isn't them and they don't know the police officers, but three police officers show up to your apartment on a noise complaint, but you've been smoking weed and you open the door and then boom, they already have probable cause to come and search your ass. Uh, and then all of a sudden, because you're playing your music a little too loud, you've now got uh, a bunch of drug charges. And that brings me to another point, which is that you should never talk to the police with your fucking door open in your house. Uh, that is like rule number 101. Like if the police come to your house and knock on your door, 
open your door and go outside and talk to them and close the door behind you and make sure that you tell them that they never have the ability to search your house or take a look around or do any of that. Just you have to use the words I, I explicitly do not consent to any searches or seizures. And they will, that triggers in them the ability, like they're, they, they lose the ability to do anything once you do that. So that's why they're ultimately going to suspend the constitution. So they don't have to worry about that anymore. But I, uh, before that happens, they still have to abide by that stuff. So like people don't know, never, you know, like, and A, you should never open the door, even if police are oh, like knocking on the door. Talk to them through the door. Just say, what do you want? And what would you say just, the um, most of the clients that you deal with, the number one mistake that they make is just the fact that they don't shut the fuck up, right? That's it. Number one fucking, <laughs> the number one mistake that you will make as a, as a future client of mine is that you didn't shut the fuck up, okay? You didn't just not, not do – all you had to do was not incriminate yourself. And that's the number one fucking way that you uh, will lose immediately is admitting to that you were doing a crime. And that's because police officers have Supreme Court protection that allows them to lie to you in interrogation scenarios. So I can have a guy come to my house and say, well, we just got a report that you just hit a car down the street and you might have killed someone. They can say that and make it up just to try and see what I would say. That's so what you, what you should say is nothing ever. And you tell them, come back with a warrant. Uh, they make a great doormat that I have that actually says that. And you can uh, just tell them that you'd be happy to answer any questions under the, the uh, threat of subpoena or when they actually have a subpoena or they can come back with a warrant and you can talk to them then. Never, ever voluntarily talk to the police, ever. I mean, even if they come and knock on your door and they're like, hey, we have some questions, tell them to piss off and come back with a warrant. Like seriously, everybody. When, the, um, when are the when are the only times that you do have to like cooperate with your while you're being detained or? Um... So, but uh, if you're in your own home and they have a warrant or they have uh, suspicion, you know, I, well then we get into like the no knock stuff, but that's starting to get cleaned up um, finally. But like basically, it doesn't really fall in that scenario in your household or apartment complex because it's your domicile and you uh have the right to reasonable uh privacy in your own home but problem is is that people leave their windows open or they'll fucking let weed smell get out or whatever and that'll just give cops the ability to circumvent and use their exigent circumstances to fuck you so literally all people have to do when they and usually when it's like when you get pulled over when the officer asks you any personal questions you could just say this I, officer, respectfully, I don't have any interest in discussing my personal life with you. However, if you are going to detain me or cite me or let me go, I do need to know that. Use those words. And uh, they have to tell you uh, what they're pulling you over for and if they're going to detain you. Um, and if they ask you a bunch of questions, just keep saying, officer, again, respectfully, my uncle's a lawyer. He's told me that you know, you seem like a really nice uh, a police officer, but I, it's nothing personal. I just truly don't want to answer any personal questions you may have for me. And most cops don't know how to handle that because they don't, they know that the general populace has no idea how to interact with them and they're just going to try and self-incriminate themselves. Don't do it, people. Fucking save yourselves. Stop talking to the cops. Just say nothing. It will give you, it will give me so much more room to work on your case if they don't have you admitting to weed in your center console and then you just killed your entire case, right? Like if you admit that you're doing something illegal, 
you're fucked. You, you, you don't ever admit to a police officer that you've been drinking. Don't ever admit that you have drugs in the center console. Don't ever admit that you've been smoking a joint. Ever. Never, ever, ever, ever admit anything. Uh, it's, it's so funny for whatever cops are like, before I search his car, do you want, is there anything you want to tell me? Like, and people just yeah, don't search everything. it. That's what, exactly, bro. That's people. Don't are like, fucking search it. You if, can't if search it. They're gonna find shit in your car. Make them fucking find it. Don't make it easy. And here's the thing, guys: them. is like hold these fuckers accountable by videoing them. Like when you get pulled over, throw your everyone's got an iPhone or a Droid. Throw your like front facing camera on and put it up in your cup holder or up like on your uh, dash and record them. So that they, like, it's your word versus theirs. And that way they don't, you've got a separate set of, of proof for yourself because then you're just relying on them having a body cam or whatever if they end up fucking you. So you need to give yourself, um, because a lot of police officers know that and they'll turn their body cams off on purpose when they're about to go do some shady shit. So it's happened, it's been documented, it's been proven. You've got to be able to start holding these cops accountable back and start shifting the power back on them to hold them accountable. It's not, it's not about them holding us accountable, okay? Uh, for the most part, a lot of the bullshit that they do is just to fund all of our municipalities and counties and keep poor people poor by continuing to fuck with them and keep them in the system. So that truly is where we need police reform is to just fight back on that front as well as re-educate these guys to stop being MMA fighters and start being sociologists. And that's how we get trust back in the community between low-income neighborhoods and police officers. Like we need to start setting, extending all branches, holding community sessions where we have listening uh, parties. Like we have low-income individuals who have been negatively affected by the police and we have police officers sitting there listening to them. And the police captains, Art Acevedo, instead of fucking tweeting, the HPD chief, instead of tweeting about socialism and how great it is or whatever about policing, he needs to be fucking starting a dialogue between low-income people and police officers. Like, hey, Art, why don't you wake up, brother, and see that that's the practical solution to police reform. Go out and talk to your freaking constituents. Like, it's no, it's not a big, it's not that hard. I mean, I don't understand why we can't have a single police chief hold a town hall meeting between poor people that have been negatively impacted by police officers and police officers who have been in trouble before so that they can understand these people's perspective who they fucked over before. But because they're a cop, they get the ability to shield themselves from any repercussions. That needs to end. That is how we police reform this country. I'm telling you guys, that's easy. We don't need robot dogs. We don't need drones. We need better cops with better education. That's it. Dude, do you um do you think it that'll ever in our lifetimes at least it'll ever be like a situation where a kid from an urban neighborhood is not afraid of the police or, in, or instead sees the police as something like you know someone who's trying to help him instead of like the enemy? Yeah, man. Once the Marxist agenda is occurred, <laughs> you, we're gonna be begging for the police to come vaccinate us anyway. <laughs> Crazy, dude, it's gonna be full on minority report, and that's the thing is that people need to understand that the new age is here, and like if people don't want to wake up to it, that's fine. But like, we've been in a period of gluttony for like 30 40 years, and the bubble's about to fucking burst, everyone's about to lose all their money, and it's gonna shift right because it's not sustainable. And whenever the actual economy and the global economy crashes for real, which will probably be sometime next year, then they'll just introduce a new digital currency that they can control to 
make sure that you can pay rent, but there's going to be a lot of obligations and stuff to be able to take it. So the Fed already has it all set up. I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of time, not if, but when we get that major cyber attack, right? Uh, you know, and like everybody kind of gets, goes dark for a week. Like I, I'm expecting that maybe before the end of the year, honestly, like dark winter. <laughs> it sounds like a massive conspiracy, but at this it's point, gonna, I wouldn't uh, be surprised, dude. It's going to coincidentally happen on like January 20th, bro. Right. When they're trying to kick uh, Trump out. Of oh, the- Jesus Christ. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But literally, like, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, right. Like it's like, Nothing makes sense. Up is down. The media is lying. Um, and, you know, so is the, the president. So it's like, who the fuck is telling the truth then? Nobody knows who's telling the truth. Nobody knows who to believe. Um, which is why I think independent journalism is going to definitely make a strong comeback over the next 10 years. I think people definitely want somebody who's going to be able to, like, neutrally comment on the news at some point. But how can it? Who's going to fund it? Where's it going to get money from? That's the thing is like, yeah, exactly. It's, unless you're a major network, unless you have big money, that's the thing is all of it's going to have to be grassroots as the corporations consolidate their power and small business dies. Because the longer we stay shut down, I think like 89% of small businesses are super fucked right now um, ever since the pandemic started. And uh, I mean, dude, like I got, <laughs> Roos Chris got 50 million in PPP money. I got fucking $3,400. $3,400. Thanks a lot, mother government. I mean, what, how the hell are we helping small business owners if you can't even let me have enough money to cover one month of fucking overhead? And yet, this steakhouse fucking chains are getting $50 million. So you got me sitting here like pissed off about that. And I think that that's, that's justified um, because like the government doesn't give a fuck about poor people. And until they realize that, uh, and the Democrats have marginalized them more than anybody, especially like poor African-Americans. No one's been more marginalized than by the leaders of the Democratic Party against those own people. Because all they do is pit poor whites against poor blacks and make it a race issue. But truly, it's a fucking wealth issue. And the, everyone's fighting the wrong fights. It's time to look up to your slave masters and not at each other who's voting for Trump or Biden. Like, like guys, until everyone wakes up to that. No one's going to fucking see the real truth and the facade and the veil that's like over the world right now, but it's okay. Like it's obviously understandable and it's easier to have a tribe and be able to pick a side and just believe that your actual side is fighting for good. They're not. Okay. They're both fighting for evil. And until people see that, uh, they're all fucking greedy, rich, muddy grubbers. They're just manipulating you. And I'm sorry to tell you all that. If it's like, if you guys think that I'm some insane person, then fine. But like, at this point, it's pretty obvious that the corporation runs us in the, in the United States. So I don't know. Uh, they make all the rules. So that's the other thing about like the vaccines. They're gonna, it's not going to be the states or anything that make rules about how we do vaccines or whatever. It's going to be the corporation. It'll be the airlines. They're going to be the ones that have all the power. They're going to be the ones that say, no, no, no. If you don't have it, you can't come in. We're not making any exemptions. So like people with chronic disorders that may be affected that can't get the vaccine, right? Like someone that has narcolepsy or something that, uh, you know, would have an autoimmune response disorder that a vaccine may fuck with. They can't, so they're not allowed to participate in society anymore all of a sudden because these corporations say so. I mean, I don't know. It's just like, these are really tough questions, but uh, everyone that's just picking a side and digging in their heels, like vaccine or die, or I will never get vaccinated or die. Um, is just setting up the, the, the dominoes for them. And they're just flicking them one at a time. And they, they, they own both sides, okay? So, like, it's divide and conquer. And it's easy. 
it's so easy right now because social media has hypnotized everybody and everyone's under the spell of whatever they believe in and they all live in their own little realities and until they wake up from the fucking facade that they've been living under then they won't change but i think people are starting to kind of see it and see that the media is fucking compromised and uh you know it's encouraging to me at least they say that 2020 is the uh it's funny that that the 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 phrase hindsight is twenty twenty always resonated with me. Because <laughs> here we are, twenty twenty. I don't know, man. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm encouraged just by uh, you know the fact that that we still have good, reasonable people in this country, uh, and even though they may not have a voice and they may not be being covered by the media, they still exist. So I know that they're out there, and I know that eventually, once the real fight starts kicking up people are going to start standing up and taking a side as far as the side against these greedy billionaires, because that's where the real fight. I mean, so I, I think any system can only exist for as long as it uh, benefits the majority and the American system, especially is, has been trending in a lot for a long time towards like, it's finally reaching a tipping point to where it really isn't. Most people aren't, especially with the whole COVID shit, bro, where we're talking or in the next 10, 20 years, we're talking about, most uh, workers are going to lose their jobs because we're going to automate everything. Uh, we're going to be able to automate everything. So, right, which is why you're going to have UBI and stuff. Yeah, right? so yeah. like a purely the, the purely capital system, that capitalist system that we've been kind of like we, we, we trend a lot more towards the right than, you know, Europe and stuff that do have basic Oh, yeah, like well, we've automated all the jobs that all these people don't have any skills to do anything else. So what do we do with all those people? Exactly. So it, 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 I do think so. I mean, whenever the system isn't working for a majority of people, like inevitably there will be a revolution. I mean, not yeah. necessarily a violent revolution, but a revolution of some form. So like, like you were saying, it, it, I do think change is um, very extremely inevitable, and especially in like the near future. I'm not talking like 20 oh, years yeah, now dude. either. When we, go, like, when we go dark before the end of the year, everyone's gonna be like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I told you so. Yeah, you know, we told you. <laughs> Dude, your internet's going out before the end of the year. Trust me, at some point. That's what fucking dark winter is at the end. The the theme for this episode is why you need to shut the fuck up. But uh, Shut the we, fuck up, man. I, like, just stop <laughs> talking to the cops. Stop talking to them. Don't give them any ammo, and you'll be protected. I mean, truly, if that's the theme of this episode, it's that. And I think that... Uh, whether it's a RoboCop or a fucking dog cop or a real cop, don't say anything to him. You won't give him any fucking ammo, okay? And Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Texas Law Dog Podcast. Next week, we have a special a little short episode featuring a highlight of the Frame Toby episode of The Office. Finally, we got that done. I actually recorded it today. Be sure to tune in next week for that. And my producer will not be in town this week, so we had to kind of make two in one. So uh, I'll provide you a couple of segments in addition to that Office episode for the week following Thanksgiving. Hopefully we get that Wilderness of Error podcast where we discuss that show on Hulu. On the episode I discussed it, I said, check out this really cool Netflix show on Hulu. So the joke was on you. Woohoos. Wow, I'm a fucking nerd. Okay, you guys make sure to subscribe, like, rate, review. Please, if you're liking the content at all, share it with two people that you know who might also enjoy it. It will really help me get this thing going as I continue to build content. Check out our Instagram page at TXLawDog in order to see some fun, non-sort of law-related stuff that the Law Dog's putting out there. He's going to really 
start pumping it up as far as law-related content and good public information for everybody regarding how to interact with police. And then the following week, we'll probably have another guest who is a white-collar criminal attorney, and we'll be discussing a little bit of some fun embezzlement and money laundering cases, so be sure to tune in over the next few weeks. As we delve into a deluge of topics, and please stay safe, stay healthy out there, friends. I really do appreciate the guys and girls and not guys and girls that are continuing to listen to the show. I need everybody's support, and I truly hope that y'all are all going to have a beautifully blessed Thanksgiving. Love you guys.